locked, loaded, and engaged. Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm joined today by CGB. We are now a little over one year old on this podcast. Thank you, everyone who showed up for our wonderful anniversary episode before CGB. How did it feel answering all those listener questions? I actually, actually, I enjoyed it. The The real answer is that when I sit down and I'm in a place where it's like, yes, I will answer questions today and just be myself and give my whatever takes, love it or hate it. It's It's pretty fun. I think that the sour taste that got in my mouth about questions was just having them thrown at me when I'm also trying to be entertaining and play magic on a regular basis. But when I know they're coming, it's actually really fun. In fact, it's, I mean, not, not, not going to brag. I could probably have taken a few more. Like I, I just feeling really like made of metal. Like I could take any amount any that you throw at me. Like, I, they just bounce off me, no problem. Master of deflection, full effect. I mean, that, that listening, CGB. The masses mm-hmm. are listening to you say these things. So, bring it on. I, I suppose we forgot to put indestructible on that master of inflection. deflection. Who knows? Maybe they'll make it a more playable card. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for everyone who wished us well wishes for our wishful next year of, of the podcast. Um, and thanks to everyone again who's been listening for so long. It's been a really good time. And yeah, I just, it was nice to have people write in and to have a dialogue with our audience. So one of the things that we're actually doing to just encourage that a little bit and to perhaps make it a part of the show is we're going to try out, uh, we haven't quite decided on what to call it. Maybe we'll call it lightning round. Maybe we'll call it the rope. <laughs> but uh, at any rate... I'm going to take a listener question for the week. And I'm going to read this one this week. It was a question that we didn't answer last week that I thought was a good question. And I thought it was worth us considering. If they have questions, they should put them in the Discord. Is that yes. accurate? Yes. Okay, cool. I'll make a channel. Yeah, I'll, I'll call it Lightning Round. So I'll make a channel called Lightning Round. You can go ahead and keep putting questions in there and they might get read on the show. Anyway, this week's question comes from Alan. So Alan asks, what are the qualities that differentiate the average mythic player, the average pro, and the best of the best? How much of this can you improve with study and playing, and how much of it is innate talent? So cool question, and one that pro players like waxing lyrical about. They seem to have a lot of opinions about this. I would definitely put myself in the average mythic player category. So I, I don't... I don't think I can, you know, authoritatively speak on the subject because I don't know what it's like being the average pro or the best of the best. But I have followed a lot of pro players over the years, and I think I have a decent idea. So I don't know, CGB. I'm sure you've thought about this too. What are your initial takes on this question? My first thought is when I think about the best of the best and what... I see as very different from my experience because I consider myself an average mythic as well. I don't, they, they, they process being behind and having things go badly for them in a totally different way from what I see in myself and in my audience and in other people that I know. And the main play, the main way that comes out is just when you get unlucky when things go poorly for you, when you have a bad streak of luck, 
I'm as guilty as the next person of getting upset, getting a little salty, being like, it's not my day, deleting a deck because I guess it's stupid. You know, all these things uh, that people go through. And I know that most Magic players who play Arena process things the same way because there's a channel in the CGB Discord called Venting, and it gets a lot of activity and so do my youtube comments and so does the main magic channel in my discord because people feel the need to vent and get very frustrated when things don't go their way and i know for a fact that pro players get upset about winning and losing a good amount they're very competitive they want to win they wouldn't succeed without a drive but they don't they don't let it affect their plays when they're falling behind and getting unlucky in games very often. Most of the times they take it in stride. How many times have you watched footage and you're watching one of the best players in the world? I'm thinking Paulo Vito Damodarosa right now, current world champion, easily one of the top three or four all time. I'm also thinking of Gabriel Nassif. I'm thinking of several of these players. And something just incredibly unlucky happens to them, but you look at their face, you're like just glaring at their face for the reaction and you get almost nothing. Like maybe a blink or an eye raise and that that might be all you get. It's like just staying in the moment under pressure and not letting those things change them, I think is really impressive. And I don't think most people know how to do that. Yeah, I, I think what you're getting at here is mindset, right? It's kind of like... Yeah a big difference that separates people is mindset. And I, I think you're absolutely right about that. So th this is kind of the way that I line this up, right? Is that I think there's a lot of things that you can work on, which separate the average mythic player from the average pro. I mean, frankly, the average mythic player on Magic Online, uh, reaching mythic is definitely an achievement. And I, I, so I'm not trying to belittle anyone who reaches mythic. Having said that, um, I think it's fairly easy to get, you know, the kind of net deck of the month and reach Mythic, especially if you're willing to put in the time and especially if you're willing to learn the deck, whatever, you know, life gain in historic or gruel in standard, pick a good deck and you jam some games. And as long as you're a fairly competent player, you can reach Mythic. Of course, reaching Mythic with a homebrew, now that's, you know, that takes some real skill. And I think that's a different level of achievement in magic but i think that you see a lot of these behaviors kind of like cgb said still what i consider to be yeah not not pro behaviors at the mythic level and that's you know tilting off it's just not thinking through your plays all the time it's playing, playing too fast yeah playing, playing too, too fast. fast exactly some people really feel like they owe it to their opponent to play quickly yeah and they get like frustrated with other people and themselves if they don't make fast plays, but you owe it to yourself to make the right play if you can find it. Absolutely. One of the things I have to keep reminding myself of is that magic is a thinking game. This is what I've had to remind myself of. Sometimes I'm in the mood to jam games of magic and just kind of like kick back and blow off some steam and have fun and whatever. And I try to catch myself when I'm in that mindset and I try to play a deck that's kind of lends itself to that when I'm in that mindset, right? So that's a great time to pick up your mono red deck, or your aggro deck, the kind of deck where you just jam. Now, it's not saying those decks don't take skill. If you want to actually win a lot of games, you should still be thinking very deeply about your plays. But I, I try to match the deck style to the mindset that I'm in because this is what happens is that 
invariably, if I'm in kind of a loose mindset or an impatient mindset or whatever, I'll reach a point in a game of magic where I have to remind myself, Arjuna magic is a thinking game. It doesn't really make sense to play a game like magic if you're not willing to take the time to think about your plays. Or at least don't have the expectations that you're going to like win. Yeah, exactly. It's- uh, you know, your expectation should be uh, if if you're playing the simple aggro deck to cast 20 spells and you don't want to think, your expectation shouldn't be that you win all your games and then tilt off and get mad that you get, were on the draw three times, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So... So I think that the average pro is thinking carefully about their plays, they're studying the matter, they're putting in time, probably a lot of time. I also think that the average pro gets used to playing decks that they don't love. And I think the average pro gets used to making decisions based on what's going to win them the most at all times. I mean, not necessarily all times, right? Pros still have their preferences. They, st- you know, you still have the Andrea Mangucci's of the world who just don't feel like showing up to a tournament without deck they like. But I, so I think that's kind of the, the average pro. Now, the best of the best, it's just like the best of the best in any setting, where I don't think that you can train to be the best of the best. And and this is what I mean is that. Anyone who is the best at something has a little extra magic. No pun intended. Every basketball player who plays professionally trains hard. Every basketball pro has done an immense amount of work to get to where they are. Every basketball pro has achieved more than most people will ever achieve in in the sporting world. But what it takes to be like a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan or, you know, Kobe Bryant is just like something a little extra, right? It's a, it's, it's a meeting of skill, luck, mindset, determination, and just a little bit of that magic. You know, they're just people who, for whatever, whatever it is, their brain just clicks a little harder than the rest of us around it. There are some people who could just... They could just try as hard as they possibly could to be the best basketball player in the world, and they're just never going to be as good as LeBron James. I think it's harder to figure out how you get to be the best of the best at something. It's just not... I don't think you can ultimately teach someone to be among the top five in anything. I think that 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 just has to be a magical thing that happens on its own. I can roll with that. Well said. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm sure that we could spend the entire show talking about that. But what we actually want to spend most of the show talking about is Kaldheim. It's it's here, basically. We're starting to get previews. Surprisingly, I definitely wasn't expecting to see them come out this week. So we're going to spend the majority of the show just looking at these new preview cards, trying to get a sense of the set, and trying to figure out what we're going to do with all of these new cards and archetypes and ideas that are coming at us. CGB, I don't know where you want to start with this. Do you just want to go over some of the broad strokes of what we're expecting to see in this set, and then we can start looking at the individual cards? It's the Viking set. So uh, if if you want to start in kind of a what what we're where we're going and what we're trying to do it's definitely a viking norse mythology themed plane the trailer is on youtube i strongly recommend anybody who hasn't to watch the kaldheim trailer so the last trailer that got me excited for a set was war of the spark i thought it was a really exciting trailer uh it encapsulated the lore the story of liliana and 
that trailer was a very powerful moment in Magic, I think, when we all thought that Magic might be more, so much more than a game. It already was in many ways, but it was very cinematic, right? Very story-driven trailer, sweet music. They paid for a Linkin Park remix that was awesome. And then the last few trailers, I'm going to be honest, I hated them. Well, I, I got I got really sick. Okay, you I first. just wanted to interrupt because I it was tough, right? Because I think that they War of the Spark was an epic trailer, and then the Eldraine trailer was it was like one up to it. It was like even perhaps better than the War of the Spark trailer was. Really, I thought it was silly. Oh, you didn't like it? Okay. I mean, I, so here's what it was: Eldraine was supposed to be kind of a silly, whimsical fairy tale set. Yeah. So I think it matched the set, but. They played it so much, and in hindsight, it was such a broken set that I'm tainted. The, 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 the cookie was poisoned, yeah. dude. It was well, poisoned. Well, I think that they did a great job on that one, but I totally agree that, that it was then followed by a series of trailers that were just relatively unimpressive, right? Theros didn't make much sense. Yeah. I think the Ikoria trailer, and some people will disagree with this. This is my opinion. I think the Ikoria trailer was egregious. Yeah. Like, egregiously bad. I, I agree. That was kind oh, of a WTF I, for me. Bad reputation, and I love Pat Benatar, and I love the music. Is it? It, it is Pat Benatar, right? I I'm don't not know. confused. I'm not the It's either Joan Jett or that. Pat Benatar. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I do love the song, but it's been used in every commercial by now like i think every car every blue jeans brand has used this at some point yeah and it was it it really wrecked that trailer for me but this trailer that i watched for kaldheim like it got me excited it had the right tone it had the right music it had the right feel it had it just a great vibe Mm. and it also set a really cool stage and they've made it very clear this spoiler week that they're, this is tied into metal. Metal music oh, is the yeah. tie-in that they're using. Yep. Now, are you a metal fan? I am not. I have moments of metal heading where I really like a certain Disturbed album and a Dragon Force song, but I am not a hardcore metalhead by any standards. But I really like the trailer, and I like a lot of the stuff that they're doing. So, I mean, I, I can dabble in metal, you know. I ex- yeah. I'll experiment. I'll roll with it. I'm okay with that. I just really like this trailer, and my I love how smart Twitch chat and the community is in general. They had me turn on closed captions for the trailer because there's a voiceover and you can't tell who it is. Mm. Now, do you know about this? No. Do you know who it is? No. So the voiceover is this menacing voice saying that there's this great weapon that wields great power, but in the right hands can be an instrument of absolute chaos. And you're like, ooh, I wonder who this is. You turn on the closed captions, it says Tybalt. Ah, Okay. Yep. I mean, that was that was the assumption, right? When you see the end of the trailer and there's that, you know, there's that dude standing there ready to grab. Well, I'm not going to give it away. But at the end of the trailer, you see someone who appears to be Tybalt. So that was the intimation. I I didn't recognize him. I didn't get it. Okay, so it was a it was a surprise to me. Got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. Well, yeah, definitely go watch the trailer and form your own conclusions based on that. But it was a pretty cool trailer. I'm not going to put it up there with uh with the War of the Spark or the Eldraine trailers, but it was definitely, it definitely conveyed a feeling, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, so, good vibes. So yeah, so we have some cards here to look at, CGB. Why don't we jump in and start talking about them? 
like for example we're seeing some tribal stuff we're seeing elves return yep. we're seeing yep. dwarves get a big shot in the arm yeah so there's definitely going to be some tribal stuff equipment of We've course got, yeah equipment and sagas both seem to be very present yep and also maybe vehicles as well so yep and double face cards are returning the from zendikar which i thought was kind of interesting as a carryover to still have double face cards we knew the pathways were coming but it looks like it's more than that right I, well that's what i was thinking is that maybe they decided that because this set also has pathways in it that they're just gonna like lean in and, and do the dfc who knows maybe dfc's are here to stay which frankly i would be pretty stoked about more from a limited standpoint than anything else i just think that having double face cards in limited makes so much sense mm-hmm it's just such a big upgrade. And even like like when we went back and played uh, Kaladesh Remastered, it, it was just immediately apparent that flooding was a problem. And like I think that that stopped a lot of people from enjoying that set. And it was just one of those things where it was like, we've had this for one set and it already just feels unimaginable that we could go back to not having it. So I do hope that they keep implementing that. I would love, I mean, I would definitely love to see even just one spell land for each color you know what I mean? Just like something in in these new sets that would just make these limited formats feel a lot more engaging. Oh, we're going to get to a DFC in this set that I think is brilliant. Awesome. Okay. Let's start with these pathways because this is kind of something that's been holding us back. I was definitely unhappy to see this full cycle not in standard, especially standard because standard's just really needing good mana. Yes. Yes, absolutely. They've, they've given the people what they want. And so the colors that are now getting their additional pathways are Golgari, Rakdos, Azorius, Simic. Is that it? I guess there were only four, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. We were missing four. Kind of interesting how they release six in one and four in the other, but do, do with that as you will. Just some things to think about here. This makes it a lot more likely that you're going to be able to do something like play an aggro Azorius Flyers deck in standard. Aggro decks are definitely helped the most by these, but a lot of archetypes are just going to benefit from this. Rakdos, those, the, those are the two that stand out the most to me, Rakdos and Azorius, as being the kind of decks that often like to get on the board on turn one. But I mean, these are definitely just going to shape what you can do in standard especially, and anywhere that lands are played, they're probably going to show up. Yeah, I think that if you look at the history of the format, when it was wide open, people didn't think that blue-white decks or green-black decks needed the pathways to compete. There was blue-white Yorian, there was green-black adventures very early on. But as the months have gone by, every deck that doesn't have a triome or a pathway has just fallen away. They just have turned out to not be a thing. While Blue-black decks in all kinds of flavors are very much a thing, and green-red decks in multiple flavors are a thing. and Or the monocolor decks like green food, right? So these things matter a lot more than people realize, and as decks get better and more finely tuned, they just need these cards, or else why play them? You can play a better, a better color combination. And now it's open to everybody, so there's going to be a lot of different both aggro and mid-range possibilities, I think. Yeah. I totally agree. So exciting to see that. The lands that you have in, especially in Standard, again, can't keep harping on this enough. Really carve out the space for what's possible. As soon as you get into older formats like Historic and back, 
you have options. Not to say that the lands don't matter, but it's you know standard. We have like a small pool of multicolored lands that are actually playable, and so it really shapes what we're able to do. I also want to say that CGB art review is not a thing, but I love the full arts on the pathways in this set. It looks like they specifically worked really hard on those full arts because they are awesome. Yeah, dude, I have to say the full arts on all of these DFC rare lands are just glorious. Yeah, striking. I'm not the kind of person who typically thinks much about cosmetics but i've definitely considered buying the playset of cosmetics on these lands because they just look so good and the thing is that you use lands so much it's a good investment basically if you're thinking about thinking about prettying up your cards a little bit if it makes you smile every time you play one it's a good investment absolutely which is really what we're all about right right cgb and winning and winning smiling and winning I want to smile on turn one, and I want to smile on turn whatever the last turn is. (laughs) (laughs) On turn 27, yeah. Yep, yep, perfect. (laughs) CGB's idea of fun. All right, so we spoke that sagas are coming back, and they are indeed. CGB, you want to take us through this saga they previewed for us? Showdown of the Skalds is two and a red-white for an enchantment saga. Chapter one! Exile the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. Double light up the stage oh, for chapter one. Snap. Chapters two and three are the same. And it says whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. So interesting card, not immediately apparent what deck or archetype this is going to fit into, which is. It's kind of interesting. We'll get to it on one of the Planeswalkers they've spoiled later. But I have this feeling with this set so far of like, you see half the card and you're like, oh yeah, I'm totally down with that. You know, like this, the first chapter, it reminds us of Escape to the Wilds. It's a very powerful effect. You know, this this doesn't immediately seem as powerful as that card because it's not ramping you. But these kind of effects have turned out to be quite good, and so I definitely don't scoff at it, especially if you're able to blink it. Yorianing this card could definitely give you a lot of options. How dare you beat me to it? I know, I, sh- I should have stayed in my lane, CGB. Dude, this card is sweet, though, but it's interesting because it's card advantage in white, which basically this is what sagas have turned into, although they're in other colors, but they have brought card advantage back to white. White was unplayable before. It, they're still mostly too slow for historic, but at least in standard, you can have card advantage in white. But yeah. it, it's an aggressive leaning card because the second and third chapters need creatures. Right. They really do to, to benefit. And maybe it's worth it, just four mana draw four-ish. Although if you hit a lot of lands, maybe you can't play them, but at least you got them off your deck. If your deck can be built to utilize Winota, Winota is better because the cards go right onto the field. You know, they cast themselves for free. But this does seem like there's got to be decks where you can play a super low curve. You know what I mean? Yes. And then this is the reload, the turn four. You set up for another explosion of cards the next turn, and they get counters. Um, So it's a really interesting card. And I'm thinking of, like, tribes that seem underpowered currently, for some reason, the things that come to mind are warriors and dogs. 
where you just play all ones and two drops, right? But then you play this card and you just pump the hell out of them and you just keep the cards flowing. Maybe you also play Winota. That's what I'm thinking is that like, if when you when you're banking when you're cashing in on these second and third uh, chapters of the saga, you're hoping to cast multiple spells in a turn, two to three spells a turn, and so yeah, if you're getting a bunch of counters out of this per turn, that's that's pretty sweet. Could be pretty devastating. Do you think Adventure Man? Is Escape for the Wilds was Busto and Adventures because you revealed all these flexible cards that could be cast for different casting costs and then were still valuable later because they went to the Adventure Zone. Does this go in Adventures? I love the idea to, to get some of those white adventures circulating again. Like, for example, we've definitely seen Giant Killer show up as a relevant card in Standard. And so I think that's one of the things that's been holding white back from these adventure decks is just like some of the adventures creatures in white haven't been very relevant to the meta game but uh, i mean there's definitely there's power here and there's options so mm, i'm gonna have to take a maybe i'm gonna have to take a maybe on that but i do think these effects have proven themselves to be worth considering like i think that when we first saw escape to the wilds we were all kind of like ah is that really gonna work is it really gonna be effective are we gonna have enough time to cast those spells are gonna be relevant and We've found in multiple archetypes that's the case. Even in decks that don't have that many adventure creatures, right? Even in these in these ramp decks, we've still seen them make excellent use of cards like this. So, yeah, I, give me. I'll give you a hard maybe on the adventures. I, I I'd have to see which other white adventure creatures apart from the giant killer were okay. looking like they might show up in the match. How about how about Shepherd of the Flock? Return this to your hand. That's. I mean, now we're talking. You're, you're definitely getting something going there. And then you put Lotus Cobra, do this on turn three, Little buy Naya, it back on turn five. Naya action. You've been drinking some strange brew lately, CGB. I feel like every time we talk, you've got like some cool Naya thing going on. So I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> this next card, Pyre of Heroes. They, it's interesting how I feel like lately they've been trying to print fixed birthing pods and pyre of heroes is definitely a pod style of effect so this is an arc it's an artifact two cost rare and you can pay two and tap it and sacrifice a creature to search a library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost so one higher than the one you sacked you put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library, and you can do this only anytime you can cast a sorcery. So this is definitely building on the tribal theme here. This is one of those things where I think people in older formats are already thinking about what they could, the shenanigans they could get up to with a card like this. In standard, uh, I guess, hopefully there will be more card spoiled in this set that will give us an idea of some of the cool things that we could do with this in standard is there anything right now that you can think of that you would maybe be interested in doing this with so i'm trying i'm, I'm frantically scrolling through a channel in my discord because there's a user and i want to credit them oh uh, nice dead zone okay uh, or goes by covert go zone in my discord <laughs> nice. um but dead zone posted a variety of tribes and what you could pod into for this including beasts humans elementals and clerics and 
when I looked through them, my my response was that like there are good cards, but what's missing from all the tribes, which is really bizarre, is ETB value. And like I, I see a lot of people saying, you know, you play this with humans, you play this with beasts, and it's like if they don't do anything when they enter the battlefield, and they don't do anything when they leave the battlefield, then you still had to cast the first creature, and you still had to activate the pyre to sacrifice it, so you're not getting ahead. You're just turning one creature into another, and it's actually not... It, it's cool. It sounds cool to a lot of players, but it's not useful. It, it's not d- gaining you any real advantage. So I, it's kind of surprising right now to look through tribes and see a lack of value because I, a lot of it's tied up in the adventure mechanic. Those are the new ETBs or have been since Eldraine came out. So right now I don't see the chains and I'm hoping that it will become more apparent as the supported tribes in this set we start to see what you play. So um, elves, dwarves, giants, those are three that I can think of that appear to be very supported. And I would say that the tribe that looks like it might be the best for this right now because of a lot of when it dies value is clerics. That's the only one that looks like it can do something. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. And I definitely agree with you on the ETB thing. Like cards like this would be so much better if we had like an elvish visionary in the format. Exactly. Um, or even like, for example, if, you know, Lanawar Elves is sometimes in a format and not at the moment in standard, but even being able to like cast a bunch of mana docks and then cash them in for better creatures later is the kind of thing that, that adds value to a card like this. But, you know, we're not going to be sacking our, we're not going to be sacking our golden goose to go and get our two mana goose drop, you know, so. <laughs> goose drop. <laughs> <laughs> you had it here first. Oh man. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that front. You need you need something a little more than what's on the face of this Pyre of Heroes card to make you really consider it. There are a lot of cards left to reveal, and this card is going to be legal for over a year. Yes. So there's a lot of sets to go. So there's a lot of potential, but it's the kind of card you keep in mind while reading all the spoilers, looking for those tribal interactions and good enter the battlefield and dies triggers. Absolutely. All right, well, let's keep moving along here. So CGB, read this Valkyrie Harbinger for us. Valkyrie Harbinger is a four white, white, four or five angel cleric with flying and lifelink. At the beginning of each end step, if you gained four or more life this turn, Create a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying and vigilance. And I also want to say really quickly that I think a lot of these rares came from theme decks, like either theme boosters or theme decks that were revealed, and they won't be in regular booster packs. I see. So I think like the next five rares that we're going to look at aren't going to be in limited and regular booster packs. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. Could be wrong. But I, 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 w- I definitely heard this a few times yeah that makes sense and when you look at the power level of these cards that it kind of lines up like these these don't look like the successors to elder gargaroth right these these don't look like they're necessarily bringing us the top end of the standard format that we can expect well in my opinion and you're kind of we're kind of burying them all at once but in my opinion these are all like super kitchen table magic cards yeah that was kind of my impression of it as well, without really thinking about it deeply. 
So, you know, maybe we don't need to go super deep on them. Like this card, for example, seems like it's just not really going to show up. Agreed. Let's just, we'll just go through them quickly. So Sirtland Elementalist, five blue blue for an eight eight creature giant wizard as an additional cost to cast this spell, reveal a giant card from your hand or pay two. I mean, <laughs> right there. It's like, do I even need Nine? to- Do I need to even need to go any further with this card? <laughs> I, I thought it was going to say two less, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this card needs to like, I mean, I need to be slamming Emrakul. To, to be but wait, there's more. Cost. <laughs> there's wait, more. There's more. <laughs> okay, whenever Sirtland Elementalist attacks, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand without paying its mana cost. It, you have to have a giant in your hand, and you have to have an expensive instant or sorcery. That's not an X card. Yeah. <laughs> like, an ultimatum, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's just, I don't know. So we, we can dream on with this. Maybe this is some fun thing to cheat out with. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. No. It's not even. It's not even good enough to cheat into play. Your little brother will hate this card, but that's it. <laughs> Sorry, elementalist. All right, read us cleaving reaper. Cleaving, cl- cleaving reaper. Why is that hard? Uh, it's that shouldn't just, be that hard. It's it no. Is. It's it sucks. It's tough. Cleaving reaper is three black black for an angel berserker. It is a 5-3, Flying Trample, and you may pay three life to return Cleaving Reaper from your graveyard to your hand. Activate this ability only if you had an Angel or Berserker enter the battlefield under your control this turn. This this is a card which is actually like, I could imagine a world in which this card was playable. The problem is the Angel or Berserker clause is kind of sucks well i agree that sucks but i w- i'll throw it to you like this if this said it returned from the graveyard to the battlefield playable yeah the fact that goes to hand 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 like, does kind of suck doesn't it yeah, yeah it does yeah so maybe that takes it out of, of standard playability range but you know a recurring 5-3 flying trampler that you can get back without spending mana get back to your hand is uh, yeah. it's it's a powerful effect how about certland flinger Three red, red giant berserker, four, six. When this, this is so perfect. When Sirtland Flinger attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. Guess what it does? When you do, the Flinger deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to any target. Get it? It's a Flinger. <laughs> and when it attacks, it flings. I see what you did there. <laughs> now, wait, there's more. If the sacrifice creature was a giant, oh my god, the flinger deals twice that damage instead. So, so we're thinking of Croak saying someone to the face for twelve with this. Is that kind of where we're going with this? <laughs> we're thinking that you put this on the table, you cast Beanstalk Giant the next turn, then attack with it. I see. Okay. All right. Well, this this is a silly card that's probably going to show up on the ladder with people trying to, you know, trying to get you. Bad terror of the people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This goes in your um. What was that deck that people were making with that Gigantify or whatever it was called? Colossification. Colossification. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. Good this, lord. This goes straight into your <laughs> Colossification deck. Canopy tactician. Three in a green. Three three creature elf warrior. Other elves you control get plus one plus one, and you can tap it to add triple green. The four mana four mana lords haven't seen like they have not had a lot of impact. Yeah, I agree. 
just reading down the card, like elves get plus one plus one, you can add triple green and it's a three three. It's like, okay, again, this this is a card which I could imagine it showing up somewhere, but I agree, it's not jumping off the page. Adding triple green is a lot of mana though. We have a couple of uncommons to look at here. Let's read armed and armored. Armed and armored for us, CGB. <laughs> it's very British right there. Arm and armed armored. Armed and armored. <laughs> armed and armored. <laughs> One and a white instant. Vehicles you control become artifact creatures until end of turn. Choose a dwarf you control. Attach any number of equipment you control to it. Oh, jeez, man. I've never seen a card reference three different classes of cards that are currently like not just not. so mad <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. vehicles dwarves and equipment all referenced on the same card so when you evaluate it it's like well not right now like not not in the standard we live in yeah so it would take a lot of interesting printings Absolutely. for this card to be relevant you know what's funny this card could have gone right into kaladesh remastered true yep because that, that had all of these... Well, I guess it didn't really have equipment going on, but it definitely had the vehicles and the dwarves aspect. So I wonder if we're going to see some kind of janky... It's probably going to be some kind of janky get em dead vehicles deck in Historic featuring this card. But yeah, who who knows where this card's going to show up. Nowhere. I know. I know where it'll show up. <laughs> Nowhere. I, I was not imagining myself wanting to resolve this spell either. Okay, next we have Starnheim Aspirant, two and a white, creature human cleric. Angel spells you cast cost two less to cast, and it is a 2-2. Two, two. So again, hard to imagine really wanting to play this card. You're the guy who said Palladium Mirror was playable. <laughs> it's more playable than this card. It would take a lot of really impressive angels. It would. I'm wondering if, if like, even reading these cards, they still feel like they come from a theme deck. Am I kind of on the, yeah, on the right yeah, track Yeah, I think that. that's still true. Yeah. I think that's still true. Yeah, so... All right, how about Warchanter's Scald? Two and a white for a 2-3 dwarf cleric. Whenever Warchanter's Scald becomes tapped, if it's enchanted or equipped, create a 2-1 red dwarf berserker creature token. So I guess the dwarves are going to be clerics if they're white and berserkers if they're red, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. It, we are continuing the white dwarf thing from um kaladesh right which is interesting right i guess what do you think of this card i think it's a little lacking but what do you got it's closer right it's closer it is um especially with cards like the sky mall in the format that's pretty nice little sequencing going there and especially we have that uh boros legendary lady who makes equipment cool so i'm still struggling with this one a little bit but it seems plausible i'm off it yeah <laughs> I okay. It's hard to get me into most things that say equipment or enchanted. Agreed. On it. Agreed. <laughs> it it takes work. Um, is this a wombo combo with the uh, with the demon hug? <laughs> okay. Okay. Move on. <laughs> Just move on. Move on Cutting now. you off. Just walk away from the card, Arjuna. <laughs> right. Youthful Valkyrie, one and a white, one three creature angel with flying. Whenever another angel enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Youthful Valkyrie. I mean, a two four flyer for two is pretty good, but the angels deck would have to be pretty dope to really encourage you to play this card. So not good enough on its own, is my opinion. 
what I'm going to throw in there, I agree with you completely, probably not good enough, but this is a really cheap angel. It is. Possibly, it is among the cheapest angels. Yeah. So, you angel tribal fans, you finally don't have to start your curve at three, four, five. Right. You know? And here's the thing, man, like a three, five flyer that you spent two mana for is like pretty gnarly. So... Oh yeah! If you have an if you're an angel tribal with a curve, it's really good. So yeah. Does that deck exist? Will it exist? If the rest of the deck were good, I think this card would be very good in it. Okay, read. How about absorb identity, CDB? The art's really cool. It I is wish really I could cool. show it. Show it to the listeners. One in a blue instant. Return target creature to its owner's hand. You may have shapeshifters you control become copies of that creature until end of turn. so turn target odo into target ferengi right that's what we got here i guess yeah interesting possibilities with this card it all depends on whether there are any playable shapeshifters but this is the kind of card that could do broken things if if we had the right tools nah nope you don't think so nah nope don't think so you got to have something meaningful to target. If it's your own thing, you already paid mana to play it, and it needed to survive. If it's the opponent's thing, they still have their broken thing, and you only have one turn of your shapeshifters, whatever the hell those are doing the thing. It's bad on summon. Someone's going to come up with some, like, Terror of the Peaks combo. <laughs> Probably. I hope they're at three life when they try to make that play. <laughs> yeah, right? That is, that's fun. Uh, okay, Giant's Grasp. Two blue blue enchantment aura. Enchant Giant you control. Uh, okay, I don't really want to read the rest of this card. No, 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 no. Don't stop. It gets better. It gets better. Okay, when Giant's Grasp enters the battlefield, gain control of target non-land permanent for as long as Giant's Grasp remains on the battlefield. What? Okay, the fl- okay, the flavor on this card is pretty dope. I give you that. <laughs> Giant Tribal control magic <laughs> i'm i'm feeling the flavor that's that's why you play this card <laughs> someone's gonna be stoked to resolve this card they do you realize uh, that you have to if you enchant your bone crusher giant it still deals two damage to oh you just to, just to have a curve with this <laughs> i love it oh my I god i love it how about elder fang ritualist Two and a black for a 3-1 elf cleric. When the ritualist dies, return another elf card from your graveyard to your hand. Mm, so yeah. a three mana 3-1 three, that gets back a thing, maybe. It, uh, you know, you're kind of right, though. The going back to your hand is just not actually that great. This is like basically a grave digger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so probably not going to see playing standard. Probably not. Renegade Reaper, two and a black, two, three, creature angel berserker. So I get what these angel berserkers are showing up on the scene. This one has flying. When Renegade Reaper enters the battlefield, mill four cards. If at least one angel card is milled this way, you gain four life. So I see what you did there. We got this uh, gain four thing going on. Which is interesting because we had that gain three theme from M21. Yeah. We're going to see people dust off their griffin towers or whatever. What was that card called? Griffin Airy? Not because of this, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> nah, and it's uh, I, it's cool that we're going to have black angels in the set. Yeah. And it looks like there's crossover in the type Berserker, right. which is interesting. I, Berserker tribal might 
actually come to pass as a thing. But uh, the, this is, again, more about hinting to what's going to be in the set than these cards actually being good. Yeah. This next card is probably in a similar vein, CGB. Read for us Thorn Mantle Striker. Four and a black for an elf rogue when this card enters the battlefield. Choose one. Remove X counters from target permanent where X is the number of elves you control. Or target creature and opponent controls gets minus X minus X where, you guessed it, X is the number of elves you control. And it's a 4-3. So a five mana, 4-3, ETB, elf stuff. Yeah, I wanted to, this is my question for you, CGB. How many CMC would you have to shave off this card to even possibly consider thinking about playing this in standard? Uh, if you shaved one, it would take a very specific yeah. meta, and the elves in the format would have to be very good. Yeah, the the these the surroundings. If you shave two, it's a, it's a go getter. Right. That's so. So that's what I'm thinking as well. It's like in order for this card to match the power level of current standard, it would probably have to cost two less. Which gives you an idea of the playability of this card. Well, again, it's it's also about hinting about the future. We have Elf Rogues. Rogues is already a type, and it's in black. So we have black elves that are also sometimes rogues. So we might see some elves hanging out in your favorite blue-black mill deck someday. I do like... So one of the things I'm noticing is like we had this Elf Cleric with the Ritualist... We have this elf rogue with the striker. It makes me think that they're going to start randomly putting party types on more creatures, which I hope they do, because I would definitely like mm -hmm. for that party synergy to continue being a consideration for as long as it's in standard. So yes. I hope they do. I really do. All right. Bearded Axe. Two and a red artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each dwarf equipment and or vehicle you control. And it has equip two so flagrantly unplayable and standing uh, i feel like it's groundhog day how many cards are they going to put dwarf equipment and or i vehicle know on? i know right oh my goodness this is a, this is a theme it's a uh, theme. they better be some good ones or else my goodness <laughs> oh but that that's nothing compared to the next one may i read you fire giants yeah re read this for us <laughs> i am always amazed at how people get excited over weird tribals you know what i yeah. mean yeah like I, I, I think that if they did Pokemon Tribal, like or just insert whatever here, you know, if they did Algae Tribal, like there would be people <laughs> who would be excited tribal. about it. Yeah, you know, just uh, get it, love it. <laughs> they, but like this one, I can't believe how many people have been excited about this. Fire Giant's Fury, one and a red sorcery. Target giant you control. Gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player this turn, exile that many cards from the top of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards. Is this the card you're going to jam into your Bone Crusher deck, CGB? I, I just... It's so frustrating because you have to play all giants. Like, you can't even play this if you don't have a giant. No. If you have no giant, you can't play this card. It only targets giants. Yeah. It's sorcery freaking speed. It walks <laughs> into removal like uh, somebody just walks into a rake. It just slaps up and hits them in the face, and they're out, out cold. But somebody is going to... Put this on, they're going to bring back Croxa. Their opponent's going to discard the last card in their hand. Their opponent's going to draw a land for their turn. And the Croxa's going to attack with Fire Giant's Fury, exile eight freaking cards, 
and little Timmy out there is going to be like Lord of Magic for a day, you know? So I can, my goodness. I can see it now. Someone's dusting off that Hushbringer Croaks uh, Fire oh, Giants God. Fury deck, you know, get him on turn four. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> so, right, so get ready. Get ready to run into that in the play queue. But yeah, this card doesn't even look playable in limited, so it's hard for me to imagine anyone wanting to cast this. Here's the problem, right? Is that how cheap can giants get? They're going to have to start reaching. They're going to have to have like giant rat, you know, which is like a 2-2 yeah. two, two well, for one red mana or something. Yeah, I, I mean, but I, I think that's very doable and I'm looking forward to it because we just saw a two-mana angel. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Here's the problem, right? You can't have a regular, like a giant of a regular thing cost two mana, I feel like as a flavor fail. So you have to start enlarging tiny things. <laughs> giant algae. <laughs> that's a, yeah, giant algae. You got that giant algae tribal deck going on. It's a sleeper. It's a sleeper. All right, Gilded Assault Car, one red red for a 5-1 artifact vehicle. This is the first vehicle I've seen in this set. It has Trample and Crew 2. And you can sacrifice two treasures to return Gilded Assault Car from your graveyard to your hand. So we're putting this in our Gadrak deck is what I'm getting from this. No, not at all. Um, I don't think this is a good card. If it had haste, yeah, maybe there'd be some be hope for it. Here's the thing to take away from this. Treasures are coming back, and it looks like in a pretty meaningful way. And treasures are dope. So Yes, they are. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that. Um, it uh, Yeah, there's another card coming up which reminds me of Gadrak. So just keep Gadrak on the mind, because that card might become playable in this set if, if the treasure things are really going off. So yeah, cool card though. I'm definitely going to play this in limited all over the place. I think it's going to be a great card in limited. Elven Ambush. Instant. Create a 1-1 elf warrior creature token for each elf you control. Seems like a throwback card, right? Is it? Seems like something that existed in the past. Yeah, could be. I feel like elves in general are kind of like a retro tribe from Magic, you know? They've, mm-hmm. they've been a thing forever. Yep. Uh, but... Pretty neat card. I mean, people are going to try it somewhere. Yeah. Like if you have a lot of ETBs, but obviously not something I have my eye on for high impact. If you're if you're jealous of people who get to play uh, Collected Company and Historic, then you can kind of oh, have your own sure. fun with Elven Ambush. Sure. I don't know. the the right The right deck could play this in standard, but it seems like a stretch. So how about something that triggers with Landfall, like a Felidar Retreat? And oh no, it's tokens. Never mind. I was gonna say a Shia. Remember our last review oh, where we mentioned yeah. things with a Shia, but it's not in token. Yep. However, this wah, is a f- wah, wah. this could be a somewhat of an interesting combo with Felidar Retreat. But anyway, uh, um, Gladewalker Ritualist. Read this for us, CDB. Two and a green for a three-three shapeshifter. Whenever I'll get to the front line in a second. Whenever another creature named Gladewalker Ritualist enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. And this has Changeling, so this is a signal that Changeling is coming back. Which Changeling is weird. It says this card is every creature type all at once. And uh, a few things to point out with Changeling: it it is both good and bad. So, for example, like this can't trigger a Winota because it's a human even though it's also not a human. 
And when it's in the deck, you can't find it with Winota because it's not a human when it's in your deck. The changeling is only active on the field. Uh, yeah, it's kind of tough. But it, it functions as a member of the party because it's a rogue, a cleric, a wizard, and a warrior yeah. all the time. But it isn't a full party because it can only represent one of those. And if there are multiple tribal effects on the battlefield, like something that pumps elves and something that pumps dwarves, it receives both benefits, which is pretty wacky. Uh, and its base type is a shapeshifter, which we saw there was like equal, like did something to the shapeshifters you controlled. Uh, that was a card. So it, weird card, but pretty cool to have Changeling back. Did, do you like Changeling? Did you enjoy Changeling? I didn't experience it the last time around. So this is new for me. Yeah. Um, Changeling, it's got to be better on Arena. <laughs> I believe that. I mean, yeah, tracking. Really hard. Tracking is a pain Hard to butt. remember. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hard to remember all the things that happen to this, especially in multiplayer games and paper. Yeah. This, I imagine this being a very high pick in Kaldheim draft. I'm going to draft the ever loving heck out of this card. Seems like approaching standard power level, but again, it would probably have to cost one less to be a player in standard. So I have suspicions uh, about all these cards being in draft at all, because if you look at the card number, it says 392. And I believe that there's only supposed to be, is it just over 200? It's like 280 cards in the set or something. Mm, I see. I, that might be a sign that those are in the, the, yeah. the decks. Yeah, I would draft the hell out of these in limited too if I did that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of hypotheticals going on in, in that case. Uh, that's a shame. I hope that this card shows up in limited because it just seemed and gilded assault card as well. These are two cards that I would love, love, love to play with, and not going to happen if they're not in the draft set. Who know? But that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll have to we'll have to find out. Rampage of the Valkyries, three white black enchantment. When Rampage of the Valkyries enters the battlefield, create a four four white angel token with flying and vigilance. Whenever an angel you control dies, each other player sacrifices a creature. Are 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 you gonna say it, or, or are you gonna let me say it this time? Um, I'll I'll let you describe to people how this card isn't gonna see play in standard. Because <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Oh, what I was going to say is, Yorion! Yorion! <laughs> do, you, do you think that people would try this in the Yorion deck? I mean, I'll do it. But not like, probably not for long and probably not for serious. But yeah. you, you won't stop me from trying. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. It, it, is, it is too much. The best it's application too much on, of this card. It's too much for what it is on its face. But if you can trigger it multiple times and if you have enough angels to make that dies clause actually relevant somehow mm-hmm. uh it's not the worst card but i'm not that excited to be honest i just if if it says when it enters the battlefield do something i'm going to say you're in for at least another year <laughs> when you need to take like a busted card to make a card playable that tells you something about the card all right so a card which looks like they would like to see play in standard or at least they're templating it this way magda brazen outlaw so read this for us cdb magda the brazen outlaw is one in a red for a 2-1 legendary creature dwarf berserker that is rare other dwarves you control get plus one plus oh whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped create a treasure token and sacrifice 
Five treasures. Search your library for an artifact or dragon card. Put it onto the battlefield, not into your hand, and then shuffle your library. Gadrak! <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, I was pretty proud of myself the first time I read this of thinking of Gadrak because he hasn't been played in a long time. Yeah. But I, I feel like those were meant to go together. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Just peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, this is a, a very powerful card. If there are other playable dwarves in standard, like a two-mana lord that has mm-hmm. additional text is mm-hmm. something to pay attention to, for sure. It, it's interesting because it pumps the dwarves, the small creatures, but it ramps you to the big creatures. Yep. So you kind of have this dual deck-building option, but you also don't have to fill your deck with dragons. You can have a dragon. Yeah. Like, if it's good enough and kills the opponent, you can run a dragon and make it worth it. What we have right now is Rimrock Knight. We have Torbran. I I think that what this card... I mean, we have seven dwarves, which people are pointing out, (laughs) but I think that what this card really needs and what red decks really need, we need, like, one red to one dwarf. You know, something like that. Yeah. We just we we need some one mana good dwarves. Yeah. And then maybe it, we're playing magic. Absolutely. No, I agree. That you know, something these red decks have been missing in this current standard is really, really good one drops. I, I guess I shouldn't say really, really good. Let's start with playable, all right? Playable one drops. Cards better than the Hellhound. So let's talk real quick about the dragons you could fetch, because I love the idea of putting just like one fatty dragon in your deck and being able to just summon it up. So um, is Terror of the Peaks a dragon? Yes. Okay, so that's a nice place to start. Don't we have like some gnarly seven mana dragon in standard? Yeah, it's Terror I, of I wanna... something. Yes, I want Terror of Valakut. Does that sound right? Is uh, uh, Calcisma? Anyway, something. 5-5 five, five gives all your creatures double strike when enters yeah, the battlefield. Yeah, that's the thing I was thinking of. Now, keep in mind, sacrifice five treasures to search your library for an artifact or dragon card is an instant speed effect. So yeah. you could let the opponent declare blocks and make this a combat <laughs> oh, no. trick or ambush somebody with your dragon. Oh, no. You know so what else? that's really cool. Check this out, dude. Embercleave. Yeah, artifact. That's right. That's pretty You don't gnarly. need a lot. Yeah. So you can run one Terror of the Peaks and your Embercleaves, and you can go fetch Embercleave with Magda the Brazen Outlaw's ability if you have five treasures. Mm-hmm. Just what we needed. I, I mean, <laughs> acclaimed contender, Nahiri. Now this. Like, they wanted people casting Embercleave on turn four or five of every freaking game of Magic. Like, oh, yeah. Why? Why do they do this to us? You know what else, though? The cool thing about a card like this is that you can just put a... Ver- you can. This is a Swiss Army Knife kind of a card. So you could put the Great Hand in your deck. Have some kind of... Oh, my God, yeah. Gruel you Dwarf could. Aggro, right? Which would be super... Again, like getting a Great Hand for free... Get your magic mirror for free. <laughs> okay, no blue mana. No blue mana in your deck. <laughs> free magic mirror. <laughs> now we're talking. But yeah, and if, I don't know, if there are any other just like sick, expensive artifacts that you might want to be cheating out, um, I don't know. I just, this, this card has a lot of possibilities. I would be quite surprised if this didn't show up in standard. It does need the support. We need dwarves. Or another way to get treasures cheaply and at a good power level yeah so 
But I love the idea of like a Magda, Gadrak, insert other treasury and dwarfy cards here deck. That sounds like a lot of fun. And it does sound like it could be very powerful. Sounds way more fun than the average red deck. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying, man. They're putting a lot of text on these two drops these days, man. This card has three relevant lines of text on it, and it's a two-one for two. So just keep keep an eye out for that. All right, read for us Realmwalker. Realmwalker is a two and a green, two-three shapeshifter with changeling. As Realmwalker enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. Hmm. Everybody gets a snoop. Everyone gets a snoop. And, okay, this card's a lot worse than the snoop for costing three mana, but apart from that, uh, it's a very powerful card. You know, all of the usual problems about dies to removal, but... For standard, maybe. Yeah, this one's right on the border, right? It doesn't have any TB, and if it just dies to removal, you didn't do anything. Um, but for any deck with a good amount of tribe in it, it's just like free card advantage, right? Uh, potentially. So if your tribe needs card advantage, this is an option if you're also playing green. I, I was messing with people on stream saying Sultai rogues, they need more card advantage. <laughs> there you go. There right, you go. But, um, uh, but I mean, we're not crazy. Gruel can rule dwarves. We just talked about a dwarf lord. This yeah. is This would be a dwarf that would get the bonus from Magda, but also play dwarves from the top of the library. Help put those seven dwarves together, baby. Here's, here's a question I have, okay? So, Realmwalker enters the battlefield. Oh, wait, okay. As Realmwalker enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Does this mean that you have to choose the type before you get to look at the top card? Yes. Okay, because that, like, this card would be more powerful if you could look at what was on top before deciding, right? I might be wrong, but I think... So, I'm trying to picture how it would go on Arena... Actually, you know what? It, I might be wrong because I'm picturing on Arena that you put this on the stack right. and the opponent can counter it or not counter it. And when they don't counter it, the window will pop up that will say... It'll ask you. It'll ask you, but there'll be the view battlefield. And at that point, the that card point, should be revealed. You should be yeah. able to see it. So yeah. I think that that... I mean, maybe it won't be relevant because maybe you you can only play a card like this in a deck with one creature type that you're always going to name okay but being able to take a look before you decide i don't know that could be pretty sweet i think you're right and i think that we've learned from cards like edgewall innkeeper that you don't need all adventure cards in your deck although you can you can just have the good ones like uh the giant and the beast in adventures in gruel adventures right it, it really only has two adventure creatures and then the other stuff is just good cards great henges and embercleaves yeah so anyway realm walker this strikes me as the kind of card that you know maybe you have play patterns like you actually play it on turn four or five and then try to spike something right off the top again it costing three and not two is a significant downgrade from a card like the uh like the snoop but the snoop is extremely powerful. It's an extremely powerful effect. This basically gives you like a, a Vivian for three mana, that that version of the card in a tribal deck. So uh, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to look out for ways that this card could be playable. Me too. Uh, another card which 
I think could be playable is Kaya the Inexorable. And so this is the first Planeswalker we've gotten a chance to see. And first of all, I just love Kaya. She's one of... I have two favorite Planeswalkers. One of them is Tamiyo. The other one is Kaya. So always happy to see her showing up again. And this card is definitely powerful. So we'll have to see if it has a place in the meta. But Kaya the Inexorable. Three black, white, legendary Planeswalker Kaya at Mythic. Comes in with five loyalty. The plus one is put a ghost form counter on top of one on, sorry, put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains when this creature dies or is put into exile, return it to its owner's hand and create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. So it's an interesting plus one. Minus three, exile target non-land permanent. Boom. Boom. Love that line of text. And then, uh, you're in! (laughs) And then, minus seven, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a legendary spell from your hand, from your graveyard, or from among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. So, eh, that's kind of probably not why you're playing this card. The way that I read this card is that that minus three is an eyebrow raiser. That's just very, very strong. And the head scratcher parts of this card for me is definitely the plus one. So uh, I think like in a sack deck, like I think about this card being pretty dope in a deck with uh, Woe Strider, for example. That's the direction I'm mm. thinking about why you might play a card like Kaya. I, you know, also like all of these clericky decks with all the sacky stuff in it makes me excited. So that's the initial take that I'm going with with the plus one, but what are you thinking about with this card? I think that, once again, returning something to the hand instead of the battlefield is way worse. And it's frustrating because we had the the card, Kaya's Ghost Form, that returned it to the battlefield. And we're putting Ghost Form counters on the creatures, and now we're returning them to the hand, and we get a 1-1 spirit instead. Gah! I don't like it. Uh, I don't like it. It could be a potentially pretty bonkers plus one if it returned him to the battlefield, though, right? I don't think it would be broken. No, you don't think so? I mean, maybe you'd have to take out the spirit part. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't think it would be broken. Mm. I mean, Kai's Ghost Form was a one-mana aura that saw not much play. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I like the card, but it's, for one thing... It's not going to be like an Esper control type staple because you do need a battlefield presence and make some use of the plus one. Yeah. There's some cool things. Uh, Skyclave Apparition is an interesting one that you would want to get back and you would get a 1-1 spirit to block the, the illusion you give your opponent. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Kaya doesn't defend herself well. You can't plus her and defend her. You mm. need other creatures to do that work. You have to minus and I think in that way, I compare her to Ashiok, and I think Ashiok's a lot better because the plus creates board board presence and the minus is very close to this line of text. But the minus seven is actually better than I think people realize. We learned from Ashiok how quickly a five loyalty planeswalker with a plus one gets to a minus seven. And that minus seven might be great because it kind of ensures that whatever your legendary is that it's always on the battlefield yeah like a yorian well that's why i said yorian with this card because i feel like they go together pretty well and i feel like ozov decks 
in general have been very successful with Yorian. So that was one of the first places I was thinking. Um, the minus three is so powerful that, and, and of course, again, this is just one of those cards that pairs well with another five mana spell, Elspeth Conquers Death. So now we're talking about playing a deck with three five drops in it. But um, get some pretty powerful top end going on with this stuff. And that minus three is just no joke. It's just like... Is this card better or worse than Elspeth Conquers Death? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to take the under on that one. But, okay. but, I mean, you're right. Like, uh, it does come down and exile a thing. And it does exile whatever you want, apart from the non-land Part of it. it also doesn't do nothing while the opponent controls no non-land permanence or if they find a way to interact with your graveyard and use yep. a lot of exile removal which is really popular in the format yeah it does say when this creature dies or is put into exile mm -hmm. which is a line of text i think people are going to forget yes uh quite a bit quite a bit yeah exactly so and again like that plus one is definitely the weirdest parts of the card but i don't know like with utility creatures such as the uh, Skyclave Apparition, which is a good one that you pointed out, it, it could be a thing. So, Can you think of a world where you plus one and hit your opponent's creature? Can you think of a good scenario? Some, someone brought that up, and uh, I'm struggling because rebuying someone's ETBs seems like a bad idea. And it has to be a non-token creature, which kind of sucks, yep. which I don't like. So but they stole your creature with Xerath. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Plus one, target it, then kill it with a, something else. <laughs> so in, a, in, in the right control deck, I could maybe see like putting it on your opponent's creature and then wrathing and getting a 1-1. One, one. But I don't know. Again, they get it back. So hard to imagine. Hard to imagine. Anyway, I think the power level is there on this card. And the, the real question is the shell. This needs a Baleful Strix type card in standard. Mm, this yep. needs like a two mana one one death touch draw card. Yeah. Like that with this would be awesome. It needs creatures that control decks would be interested in playing. Mm -hmm. And or it needs a lot of good like, yeah, like Saki, ETBE. Oh, sure. Ravenous Chupacabra. Yeah. If they made another exactly. one of those. Hostage Taker. Exactly. Right? That yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And especially like, I mean, yeah, those are four drops. But if, yeah, it's like if you have some apparitions, you have a couple of those, maybe you have like some two drop value creatures. I don't know. Fibble thips. <laughs> yeah, we are missing those. Like we were talking about with the pod card that those are missing. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely on the even, like those cards always get our attention. Even more so with this set, we need those ETB value cards. Dude, this would be a great time to reprint Elvish Mystic, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. I've been I've been missing missing Elvish Mystic. By the way, that is the card that I think Mutate really needed, and I would love to see one in this set. Are, are you, do you mean Elvish Visionary? Is that the or one Lanor I'm thinking Visionary? of? I'm, Two mana, one one enters the battlefield. Draw a card. That's what I'm thinking of. Is that Elvish Visionary? I think so. Okay. Because I think Mystic taps for a green. Oh, that that Elvish Mystic is just a re basically a reprint of Lanowar, right? Don't worry, the YouTube comments will tell They'll us. They'll tell us. So, But I am th I am thinking of the 1-1 one, one for 2 mana that draws a card on ETBs. That's the card I'm thinking of, and that's the card I've been missing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, how about Halvar, God of Battle, CGB? Okay, this is 
two and a white and a white for total mana for a legendary creature god that is a mythic. It is a 4-4, and it says legendary creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. This is a DFC. There is another side to it. And the other side is Sword of the Realms, which appears to be the sword in the trailer, by the way, if you watch the trailer. One in a white legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus O and has vigilance. Whenever equipped creature dies, return it to its owner's hand. Equip one in a white. It's a DFC, right? So you can just play it as either side? Yes. Okay, cool. I guess we know that because it has a little triangle in the upper left corner. Yes. Okay. So you can just choose which side you cast. This is, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to let you take the first swing at this one. <laughs> swing. <laughs> well, uh, he, who, he who passes the sentence <laughs> must swing the sword. <laughs> All right. Um, so here's my take. I don't, I'm not excited about the body. It's a god and it's not indestructible. I, I think that's something else people have to get used to. It's a four mana, four, four that for the most part, interacts in a way that we don't know how to put good value on like being able to move an aura or equipment from a creature you control to another creature you control um at the beginning of each combat which includes the opponent's combat by the way um but it's hard to figure out how to value that and it's hard to picture where that is a particularly powerful thing so you're looking for cards that like unequip re-equip unattach auras reattach auras like yeah. there's the there's a cure is a curie from, a curie yeah yeah who draws a card when something is unequipped but i don't know if that even works with this card no, i'd have to read that card again I, which i haven't done in a while i think but, that draws a card when you attack with yeah. an equipped creature yeah i think the hope for the card lies in creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike if you can make that amazing but what I want to say about this card... I, oh, so, also... So, sorry to interrupt. I just think it's a shame that Embercleave already does that. Right. <laughs> you know, so our this, most this... playable equipment that we've seen so far is not really getting buffed by this dude. So that that's just such a shame, I think. Mm, Skymall's freaking good and that's on true. curve. Skymall's dece. Um, I, okay, I had a 10-0 top 1,000 Mythic run on stream yesterday with a four sky mall white aggro deck like nice. i couldn't lose if i tried but nice. anyways i think that deck's underrated um but the sword of the realms part is it's again like we keep on seeing this whenever the equipped creature dies return it to the owner's hand that's yeah such a nerf from to the battlefield right yeah but what i want to say about the card this is the important part to me i love the design because the biggest problem with playing equipment in my opinion is you draw equipment and no creature creatures yep or you draw the creature and no equipment so this is both like this is the perfect dfc like it's the right way to do a dfc i would like to see the power level i i feel like it could use a a little more power level because this ain't omnath you know what i mean (laughs) no and it's not even embercleave you know like the yeah it's possible that this card is going to reveal to us that it's better than it looks. That's entirely possible. But I totally agree with you that like I'm I'm not chomping at the bit to build a deck around this or to throw this in a deck. 
one of the problems with it is that the Sword of the Realms costs two, and then it costs two more to equip. So, oh, yeah, no free equip. So no yep. free equip. So that's four mana total just to get the dang thing on your creature. And in a format like standard, you know, people see this coming, right? So, you know, they'll have their removal spell up or they'll have their whatever. And so you can get blown out fairly easily. So, yeah, I'm not initially a buyer on this card. Like, the, I don't feel like the power level of it is evident just from reading the card. So if this card ends up being playable, it's going to be in a context. I'm much more excited about the potential of DFCs that are equipment like powerful equipment on one side and a reasonable creature on the other. Yeah. That, that's what I'm excited about. Not necessarily this one, but I'm glad that they made this card. Totally. Yeah, this is just one of those cards where, like, I imagine you playing it and your opponent Skyclave apparitioning it and you feeling like a dummy. But who knows? I mean, there's a lot of text on it. It's definitely a card that could end up showing up. And, you know, the artwork is freaking sweet yes that is for sure the uh, in in general the art in this set is killing me yeah I, like i like it like yeah oh i'm into it killing me in the good way killing you softly <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right final card for this first dump that they have done sarulf realm eater and uh the name does sound wolfish which is a good thing because it is in fact a wolf it's a legendary wolf one green black for a 3-3 three, three. and whenever a permanent an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on Sarulf the wolf at the beginning of your upkeep if Sarulf has one or more plus one plus one counters on it you may remove all of them if you do exile each other non-land permanent with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of counters removed this way what's the um What's the card that this is like a throwing back to? Is there some kind of like, it's not Ether Vile, but I feel like there's like some old magic card which has a similar effect. I can't think of one. I must have missed it. Well, anyway, um, this is like, this is a super weird card. Uh, the second line of text has the potential to be very powerful, but it's incredibly hard to imagine the deck this goes into and the sequence of events that leads to this being super dope so okay so here's here's what needs to happen with this card okay so you play uh -huh. you play a three three four three that's that's what happens you play a three three for three next you need a permanent and opponent controls to be put into the graveyard and get a counter on it and then next yes. you next you still need to have your four four for three on the battlefield and then you need to have the number of counters on it match whatever it is that you want to be doing with it. So if you kind of look at the flowchart logic on this card, it's asking a lot of, of ifs. <laughs> if this, then that, right? So, yes. so the first if has to be affirmative, and then the second if has to be affirmative, and then the third if has to be affirmative. And if you get them all lined up, then maybe your 3-3 three, three for 3 ended up doing something sweet. Bring this note home with you. This is not a three-mana Ugin, so we're not thinking about it that way. I mean, what what do you got with this CGB? I like this card, and it's very exciting, but the reason I like this card is because I discovered Commander about two months ago. Mm, okay. This is, this is the most obvious... Card. 
In, in my yeah. opinion, this is the most obvious commander card in the set. Yeah, because good call. in commander, in a multiplayer game, you don't have to worry about filling the opponent's graveyard or even spending mana to do it. Other players do it to each other. And this being a commander means you get to cast it for free on turn three every single game if you want to and just let everybody fight. And this does amazing things. And it's a great diplomacy piece because it's optional. I'll exile everything or maybe I won't. Do you want to be my friend? If you're my friend, maybe I won't blow up your board. So it's, it, is, it should be in Commander Legends, to be honest. Yep, but it's a, a really call. cool card and I'm glad it's here. I like it. And it... I can't see it being a competitive card. The The closest I came is I was like, well, maybe it's sideboard against Rakdos, like historic Rakdos Sacrifice. You know, they're going off with Cat Oven. It just builds up your Realm Eater and then you blow up all your permanents. Then it occurred to me, claim the Firstborn. Nah. Yeah, nope. Nah. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Nah, brah. That's Can- not going to do it. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, they steal it from you and then they get to decide what to exile? That would be... actually. A disaster. Because it's at the beginning of the upkeep, they don't. But they do just get to they do just get to hit you for a million. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So no, you raise a great point. This is an excellent fun commander card. That's exactly where you should play it. And uh that's probably about where this card ends. The the artwork, I actually like the normal artwork on it a lot though. It's really sweet looking big Aurora. The Aurora Borealis in the background, and the wolf is like as tall as the trees. It and has some neon socks. So, I what do you make of the neon socks on the wolf? I've, I'm a buyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do I get some socks like that? I I'm sure Amazon can hook you up. This is you know this is a very colorful black green card. I will say it's also a very blue black green card, which is interesting. But also, why isn't this a giant? It is a giant wolf. It's a big wolf, It's a very big wolf. Or maybe those are just really small trees. (laughs) I I don't think so. (laughs) Maybe maybe Kaldheim has small pine trees. Regardless, (laughs) (laughs) that's going to cover us for the cards that have been spoiled so far. So I agree with CGB that I feel like a number of the cards that we read today are probably not uh, even going to show up in regular boosters and as a result those cards are usually not playable in standard but we have read a couple of sweet cards and i do think there are definitely cards on this list that are going to be key players in standard could you pick a favorite on the spot yeah it's definitely the magda definitely Mm, yeah i have i have high hopes for magda i think that magda could bring red back into the spotlight I, I think it could bring mono red back into the spotlight. It's possible. If again, if just like you said, we need to get a strong one drop, and there are a couple of other points that need to get filled out, like with the treasures. But Magda is the one that really jumps off the page to me. Do you want me to tell you mine? Yeah. You're never gonna believe it. I, I won't. And then once I say, you're gonna go straight into the wrap up because it's you know it's it's just what you'd expect. <laughs> Ready? Okay. Ready? I'm ready. Hengegate Pathway. Then that's going to wrap up the Arena Craft Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining <laughs> us for another week. You can find our show wherever you can find podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We are on YouTube. Keep leaving those YouTube comments. We love them. Also, you know, subscribe and share with your friends. I see this like almost 
every video we release CGB on YouTube, I see someone posting that being like, why doesn't this get more views? This podcast is so cool. I feel like more people should be watching this. Well, you know what? I agree with you people. And you know how you help that to happen is that you tell your friends and you subscribe and you share it with more people. And that's how the word gets out. So you can also find CGB on his YouTube channel. So go check him out. He's rocking it. And you can also see him streaming on Twitch. So keep an eye out for him there. That's going to wrap it up. And we will look forward to hopefully bringing you more Kaldheim cards next week. And if we don't hear you before, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Indeed. Indeed.